Okay, today, before I get finished, at the end of the uh, uh, time we have together, uh, Dean Schmidt's going to be back here in the middle holding out these cards. If you're interested in them, let me tell you what they are. We are now opening up the ranch to local guys and especially church guys to bring themselves and five other hunters, six people total, for a Saturday quail hunt. It's a little more expensive than running out and hunting at Grandpa's farm, but you're going to get 120 birds that have never been shot at, uh, and it's going to be challenging. All the dogs, we furnish all the shotguns, every shell. We will take you to our shooting range and let you shoot clays till you embarrass yourself um, and get better. We will give you a bag uh, that you can carry home with uh, frozen quail in it. You take home, it, it'd be a, a great treat. This is... Um, this is a real treat, and uh, we're going to feed you a wonderful meal, and uh, if you are interested in that, we've got 10 different dates available, and I encourage you to uh, take advantage of that. Bring somebody you want to make an impression on, and we'll try to do that with you. I'm talking about what I've been thinking about for the last year, and I've spent quite a bit of time working on a book, and uh, one of the things that I've learned is I don't know how to do a book. But uh, I have written a lot. I've written the book three times. That tells me I don't know what I'm doing. But um, anyway, it's in the hands of an editor right now, and so we're going to get this thing out. But I'm, I have had a burden to teach people about money. And the reason is because financial pressure can be a horrible, horrible cloud hanging over your head. And uh, I am so grateful that I had to learn how to be a businessman. A lot of people think, well, you've always gotten offerings, and it's true. In the last couple of decades, we've been funded with offerings primarily, but for 20 years before that, I had to make the money that paid the ministry bills. It didn't come through offerings. When we had a nationwide and in some cases worldwide ministry with Gospel Bill and other things we did, 94% of our money came from sales. I did not get help. I have in recent times told very well-known pastors and so forth a little bit about our journey, guys, my generation, and they're absolutely shocked. They're, you mean the TV stations didn't pay you anything for what you did? I said, not a dime, not a penny. We didn't get anything. And they said, that's so wrong, and, 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 and they're shocked at it. But we had to learn that if we were going to get done what we had to do, I had to somehow find out how to make money. And I'm grateful for it because as a businessman, I can talk to business guys better than the average pastor or evangelist. The evangelist gets up and says, I was trusting God and confessing the word and somebody that I didn't even know came up and handed me a check for $10,000. And so our business guys go out and start confessing the word of God and nobody ever shows up with a $10,000 check. And so they think, well, you know, God must not love me as much as he loves that evangelist. I'm not spiritual enough, whatever. And it's all because there's a huge misunderstanding about how money flows. And we, we don't really dig into it. We don't really look at what the scripture teaches. And the scripture is just loaded with stuff. I want to read Isaiah chapter 60. And, uh, oh my gosh, I, 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 I left my Bible at home. I was supposed to bring it. I always write down all my scriptures. I'm going to give you the essence, though. Here it is, Isaiah 60 and verse 5. Because the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto you. This is God speaking to Israel through the prophet Isaiah, telling them of a day when they're going to be living in the presence of the Messiah, 
and people are going to bring them blessings. And it says, the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto you. The word that I want to focus on there is the word converted or conversion. Money has to follow a conversion. Money doesn't just show up. You don't walk out in your yard and find money blowing around unless somebody lost it. But money is a converted resource. When people begin to look for money, they get into trouble. They get greedy. Money is never to be our pursuit. It's a secondary resource. Everybody say secondary. Secondary. All right, let me give you an example. Electricity is a secondary resource. Now, imagine you lived 200 years ago, okay? And uh, you're in the middle of the 19th century, and electricity, we, we know it exists. We know that uh, lightning struck a kite and came down and hit the key on Ben Franklin's string and, and all of that. We discovered electricity, but there was no way to harness electricity. It wasn't lighting any building. It wasn't powering any motor. We had no idea how it worked. We knew it could be powerful because we saw the destructive nature of lightning uh, on trees, and, and when lightning was strike, in fact, out in the Texas Panhandle where I'm from, uh, my uncle had a ranch that had some high country, and he would show me the lightning strikes, and you could see a ring of green where the lightning had struck in the high ground, and it would make the grass grow a little taller. There was a ring there where the lightning hit, and so you knew it had some kind of impact, but you didn't know exactly how you could harness it, and here all this time later, we still don't know how to harness lightning. But we have learned how to generate electricity. We've learned something about it. So you imagine what foolishness it would be to get up and walk out of your house in 1850 and start looking for electricity. You're not going to find it because it had to be converted from something else. Money is very much the same way. And we, we know a little bit about this, but we don't think it clearly through. So what I want you to see is if you can learn to think like electricity and how it works, you can understand the flow of money. Money is produced through the conversion of four primary resources. Now, there are secondary resources and there are primary resources. And money is not a primary resource. It's a secondary resource. So we need to be thinking about the primary resources. What are my primary resources? What primary things? And here we go. Proverbs 14, 23. This is the first primary resource, and everybody can do this one. In all labor, there is profit, but idle chatter leads only to poverty. So here, Solomon writes and says, money doesn't just show up. It's converted from labor. In all labor, there is what? Profit. So if you want to find money, you got to find labor. Working is your first step toward money. And here's what happens when we work. As we work, we're making an exchange. We're exchanging our time, our energies, our skills for money from people who need the labor done. But this is what happens if you do labor for any period of time at all. Labor naturally leads you to the second primary resource, which the Bible says is worth a lot of money. And the second primary resource is wisdom. 
The Bible says that wisdom is better than silver and gold. The Bible says that with wisdom, there is silver and gold and riches and honor. And the good thing about getting wisdom before you get silver and gold and riches and honor is when you then get it, you won't abuse it. We know all kinds of people. We see it in the world all the time. People who win lotteries, people who get paid extremely high salaries in the sports leagues and so forth, abuse their money because they get riches and honor, but they don't have any wisdom to go with it. Now, there's a few who do, but most don't. And so when you get the riches and honor, but you don't get the wisdom that was supposed to come with it, you're going to waste the things that were put into your hand. And that's why we're all amazed at a professional athlete who had an amazing, incredible salary. And 10 years after his retirement, he's busted, broke, and, and in some cases living on the street has nothing because he had no wisdom whatsoever. So without wisdom, money isn't any good. Wisdom will keep you from misapplying your priorities. It will always help you to let money be in its proper place. Money, when you serve it and put it number one, it'll destroy your life because you get fooled. The Bible says the prosperity of fools will destroy them. So there are a lot of people teaching, well, I don't know if I want to make any money or not because it'll ruin me. Well, that's because you're a fool. The prosperity of fools destroys them. But money can be a great blessing if you have some wisdom to go with it because now you can utilize your money to do good. Money itself is neutral. It's neither negative nor positive. I can show you scriptures in the New Testament where the Bible says that money is filthy lucre, and it's because it's being handled wrongly. Then on the other hand, I can show you New Testament scripture that says money is a sweet-smelling savor and an offering to God, and it's because money was used properly. So money is how we use it. And if we have the wrong attitudes toward it, it's going to mess your life up. But that means then that it can be used in the right way. I'm a firm believer that everything that's out there that is utilized in the wrong way can be turned and utilized in the right way. And that's why I want to talk about this. When you spend any time at all working, there's always something that happens along the way. Unless you're just a total buffoon. But you come up with this statement, there has to be a better way to do this. Isn't that right? You mow in the grass and you think, there has to be a better way to do this. There's got to be a better way to do this. And after a while, what do you do? You develop systems. Now you're not just working hard, you're working smart. And it's very possible that even though you may be doing something that's totally manual, you will take those lessons with you into the new things you do. My first real job for any period of time was hauling hay. And my uncle had a hay truck. He's here in the room, and I'll be eternally grateful to him for the lessons he taught me in the hay field. But it was amazing, and down through the years, I told my staff, my team, what I needed to know about running the finances at Church on a Move. Most of it I learned in the hay field. It's amazing what you can take from labor in one place and bring it as a lifelong lesson to the other. And the one thing I learned, don't quit. I wanted to quit. 
In all the years that we hauled hay, we walked away from one job, just one. And we had some really terrible conditions. We had guys who wanted their barns filled with hay, but they had an eight-foot barn door. And we got to get hay all the way to the back. We had to do some things that we normally didn't do. We learned how to put a bale at the back of the truck, drop the bale on it, and we could roll bales 20 or 30 feet. So we didn't have to walk them back that way. We had another rule. You only handle a bale once. You don't pick it up, set it down, then pick it up and replace it. You, you handle a bale one time. You learn how to fix it. See, how many people waste all kinds of labor because they handle a project two, three, four times and they don't finish when they start it and they keep handling it and keep handling and keep handling it and they lose because of that. I started learning when we pastored the church, when we started this church. Listen, we're facing the same problem in this area over and over and over again. This problem doesn't just show up once in a lifetime. It happens all the time. Let's sit down right now and let's think of a way to fix this problem. Let's write out the solution. And then when the problem shows up the next time, we're going to do what we decided when we weren't under stress. And so we react which is what Lincoln football is going to do tomorrow when they win the state championship. The reason, the reason that our kids are so good is they react. They have instinctive reactions. They don't try to think through the play and what they're going to do when they're on the field. It's too late. You have to recognize instantly the scenario that you're in and instantly respond. And that's what allows you to play fast. And playing fast is what builds winners. A lot of people think it's about playing big. If it were playing big, last week Heritage Hall would have beaten us. If it was about playing big, two weeks ago Kingfisher would have beaten us. You're going to see tomorrow that the team we play is bigger than us. But one thing you're not going to see, they're not faster than us. And our kids are by them before they know what hit them. And it's because we have trained them to respond. And that's what happens with wisdom. Wisdom teaches you what to do when you're in a pressure situation. And you develop systems. Wisdom shows you how to handle problems. Wisdom makes your time more valuable. This is the reason that a surgeon makes more money than a guy who digs ditches. The guy who digs ditches messes up and we lose a little bit of water. Maybe some natural gas leaks into the atmosphere. Surgeon cuts the wrong pipe and somebody dies on the operating table. So his time is much more valuable because his skill is much more critical. And so if you want to climb the ladder, so to speak, so that your time, because you're not going to get any more time. You have a limited amount of time to work in a week. And hard work alone is not going to get you to where you want to be. It's hard work with wisdom. That's what changes your life. Hard work with wisdom. That's what changes your pay scale. And so I would say, if you're not doing something to sharpen your skills, if you're not reading, if you're not thinking through things, if you don't go to seminars, if you don't Go back maybe and finish a degree. It might be that in order to get the kind of job you want, you've got to have a certain level of college to get it. 
get back in and get that degree. In some cases, it's not necessary. But the thing I want you to see is you have to sharpen yourself. It's not just lucky breaks. It's not just that somebody liked you or you got uh, favored by the boss and the other guy didn't. Listen to me. I have worked for un, uh, unfair bosses a number of times, guys who didn't treat me the way they should have, guys who were determined to take advantage of me. And I made it through every one of those situations, and I eventually thrived, and I prospered when the guy over me wasn't fair. And I want you to see the reasoning behind that is because God gave me wisdom sometimes to prove them wrong and open their eyes, or in other cases to go around them or to go to a new avenue. Wisdom is so very critical. And that's what the Bible is. It is a book of wisdom. It is loaded with things, loaded with things. Tomorrow, I'm going to tell our football team, keep your mouth shut. The team that we are playing is very chippy. The team we played last Friday night, they're very chippy. They like to talk. What happens when somebody's jabbing at you like that? The natural reaction is to talk back. Don't. You want to psych out the other team? Keep your mouth shut. Even a fool is counted as a wise man when he holds his peace. You want to rattle people? Just be quiet. They don't know what to do with somebody who's quiet. Just knock the crap out of somebody and smile really big. You don't have to say anything. It makes you more mysterious when you don't say anything. It scares people more when you don't talk. I find this interesting. We have a little football app here called Squirtle. And Squirtle is a way to get the scores from all the games. But they also have another little feature where you can go and vote for the team you think is going to win. Well, right now it's about 93, 94% Plainview is going to beat Lincoln Christian tomorrow. That's not natural. Both papers have picked us, uh, uh, Tulsa World and uh, uh, the News OK, I think. They both picked us to win the state title. Uh, how can 90-some-odd percent of Oklahomans think that it's going to be Plainview. Well, I'm going to tell you what's happening. It's the Plainview fans that are skewing the poll. And put your actions where your faith is. You put your actions where your faith is. Last Friday night, the team we played, very vocal, very loud, yelling obscenities before the game outside our locker room. Yelling big time on the field. Our kids, we lose the battle every week. We have never yet won a yelling contest in the pregame. Do you know that the poll doesn't mean anything? Do you know that the paper picks don't mean anything? Do you know that 90% of this on score doesn't mean a thing? Do you know that you're yelling really loud doesn't mean a thing? That you hoot and holler and all that stuff? None of that makes a difference. It's what happens when the opening kickoff comes and how we play after that. When your actions are put toward the right thing, that's where you thrive. And a lot of people put their actions in the wrong arena. You put your actions where your faith is. Are you with me? Put your actions where your faith is. So develop wisdom. If you really believe this, you're going to get more wisdom. You're going to see things in the scriptures. 
God will open your eyes. Listen to me. Wisdom is the principal thing, Solomon said. Therefore, get wisdom. With all you're getting, get wisdom. Wisdom will show you how money flows and how it works. So labor is a primary resource. Wisdom is a primary resource. And the next thing is product. Product is a primary resource. Now, let me read to you from Proverbs 11 and verse 1. Dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord. But a just weight is his delight. Proverbs 16, 11. Honest weights and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his work. Now here's what that means. It means that God loves exchange, conversion. I'll trade you this for that. I'll sell you this for this much. When it's a fair price and it's a good deal, it blesses everybody. Everybody involved gets blessed. When you walk away from a deal that is fair, you're very satisfied. The odds are you're going to go back to the person that you got this deal from because you see that they are trustworthy. The guy who tries to gouge you or he sells you a car where he was able to cloak a problem with the motor. You're not going to trust that guy ever again. He may have made a little bit more money in this exchange but he is killing himself for the future. The people who don't do a job right, and it has to be redone. Those people may have taken some shortcuts, and they may make a little bit more money in the first round, but they're going to get hosed down the road because they know nothing about secondary business. You want people coming back to you over and over and over. You know what the Bible says? It says a good name is better to be had than riches. And you can have people who talk bad about you. You can have people who gossip about you. Good night, I don't, I know down through the years I've had that over and over and over again. But my choices toward personal integrity have dwarfed those criticisms. And I have a good name. And I have chosen to keep a good name and to fight for a good name. Now, that doesn't mean that you won't have people saying bad things about you from time to time because they did that about Jesus. But in the end, you had to admit he was on the right track. He did the right things. You get to choose whether or not you're going to have a good name. And that's why you want to make sure that all of your transactions are honorable. Product works when you're asleep. Years ago, I started seeing the only way that I'm going to get done what I've got to do is I've got to come up with some products because there is no way I can physically go out and face-to-face do everything I need to do to get things done and to get the money I need to pay my bills. God called me to publish a curriculum that was $50,000. My salary the previous year was ten, five times my annual salary I've got to come up with. I didn't know anything about money. So my first thought was somebody who has a lot of money has got to get behind my project. That is logical thinking. And so I I looked in a number of places for people who might want to invest. And I could tell God gave me no favor with any of them. There were none of them who had any interest at all in investing in my project. I was hurt. I felt cheated. I felt it was unfair that God gave me an assignment that I couldn't possibly do. I I felt like that I had been given a car, but somebody else had my gas pedal and someone else had my steering wheel. And it's a very frustrating place to be in. All frustration comes from the devil. And he loves to put you into boxes. And when you think somebody else is controlling your destiny, you resent that person. 
and you have your attention on the wrong thing. You're like the bull in the bull ring. He's chasing that stupid red cape. The red cape is not your problem. It's the guy with a little ponytail. Hook him and your problems are over. And if we're not careful, we get our eyes on people and we think this guy's, and, and, and guess what? It's very possible that people are not doing you right. It's very possible that they're not cooperating with your financial future. That's very likely, but they're still not your enemy. The greatest threat to your success financially is in your own thinking. And when you begin to think in a liberated way, with my God, there is always a way for me to get around this. I haven't found it yet, but I know I'm going to find it. I had been invited to teach at Rama Bible Training Center. I taught a class on children's ministry. I taught it four times a year. And I had to come up with a plan and a syllabus to teach these people. Twelve classes, 30 minutes long. And so as I got into that, I began to realize wait a minute, there are people all over America who are not coming to this Bible school who need exactly what I'm putting out in this Bible school. And so I have something of value here. I've never thought of it as being valuable, but it is. And I know how people think. They are given responsibility for a Sunday school class and they don't know what to do and they're on their knees praying to God, God, Show me how to teach kids. They will pay a reasonable amount of money for instruction on how this works. I should be compensated fairly, equitably for what it is I'm going to share. My work led to my wisdom where I said after I started teaching kids, there's got to be a better way to do this. And I learned how to adjust and teach kids better. Then I took that wisdom and I put it into six tapes. And I was confident that when I put that teaching down in six tapes, I knew what I was talking about. Now listen to me. There are a lot of great guys who teach on money, and I, I thank God for the guys who teach you to think big that God can do miracles. I think that's great. And I love what Dave Ramsey does, teaching people how to manage money. But you see, when I was given a responsibility for $50,000, there's no way I can manage my 10000 to get the fifty. There's some problems you can't manage your way out of. No way of, no amount of saving is going to get me the 50 grand. I've got to have new income streams. So I started seeing there has to be a new way for this stuff to flow. And I saw it's through product. I am never going to get offerings for kid stuff because people don't give money toward kid projects. They give pocket change. Now listen to me. When you're watching TV and one of those commercials comes on about St. Jude's Children's Hospital or Shriners or any of the other feed the children things, notice this. They never ask you for more than $20. It's usually $19 a month. Why is it that they all are pretty much set in that same range? Because they know that when you up that amount that they are not going to get your response. But they make it so low that people could say, we could do that. And so they are building their operations on $20 or less a month because they know this is how it flows. This is what people are willing to give. You may not like that. It may not seem like it's enough money, but you're stuck with it. I saw that. I saw people are not going to give me money to do what I'm called to do, so I'm going to sell video cassettes. 
of my TV show. That didn't make any sense to me. I am broadcasting the Gospel Bill Show all over America for free, but I'm also going to sell a video club where you get two VHS cassettes once a month for $14.95. And I thought, people won't do that, but they did. They did it in droves. I had a product. And I had thousands of people who bought those cassettes. And the way we did it is I'm only going to sell this one time. You sign up, you pay a fee, from then on we're shipping it to you. Until you tell me to stop, it's coming to your house and we're billing your credit card. But we're going to put the burden of stopping on you. We're not going to call you every month. You want it again next month? Too much labor and all that. We only handle a bail one time. You with me? See, I learned all that stuff. Take advantage of where you are. I don't care how basic your job is. There's something valuable that you can carry with you into your next assignment. And so we created product. God loves product. That's why he says a good scale, an honest scale of fair trade, God loves. And then here's the last thing. The last primary resource is capital. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country. This is Jesus in Matthew 24, 14. Who called his own servants and delivered his goods unto them. Obviously, these goods were not things that he needed to live on. He had some extra money. He had made some spare money that he could use to invest. That is capital. Now, this is what I love about capital. You can inherit a lot of capital, and people who inherit a lot of times don't have a full appreciation for what it is that they got. Sometimes their parents train them well, and they they do have an appreciation for it. But the best capital is the money that you worked hard for, that you saved. You're a little bit more careful with it than you would be otherwise. So that's capital. It's this extra money. It's not money you got to have to pay your bills. It's not your electric uh, payment. It, it, that's not capital. Capital is what you have left over that you can invest. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made five other talents. Now, here's what I want you to see. The master expected these guys to increase. He expected them to do something with that money. Two of the three guys did. The guy who got five talents turned it into 10. The guy who got two talents turned it into four. The guy who had one talent didn't do anything with his. He went and buried it in the earth and didn't develop it at all. He is called a wicked and a slothful servant. God expected him to increase. God expects you to increase. God expects you to learn to think. He will give you the tools that you need to increase. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter what your background is. Doesn't matter what little education you may have or great education you may have. It does not matter. I love how I have seen God work in this area. Because God will take things that you know, that you're familiar with, skills that you have, and he'll open new ideas and new streams of income to you. Now listen to me. Four primary resources. One, labor. Two, wisdom. Three, product. Four, capital. The fourth one, you're least likely to have. It may be later in life before you have capital to invest, but everybody can start with labor. And when you're doing your labor, wisdom will come. Somewhere along the way, don't be surprised if you don't get an idea for some kind of a system or a product that can be used to develop and bless people. Now, money doesn't just show up at your house. 
Electricity doesn't just show up at your house. Just because there's a big transmission line running a mile from your house doesn't mean that it's going to jump from those transmission lines, transmission lines over to your place. There's going to be a conduit established to get to you. Money comes in conduits and channels. It comes through relationships. You don't look for relationships to begin with the money source coming to you. You got it all backwards. When we laid the transatlantic cable across the Atlantic Ocean so we could send telegraphs across to Europe in quick time, we started with ships that had huge rolls of cable on them. And we started from the American shore and we went east across to England, ultimately to Europe. The, the cable connection starts at home. The reason that people get screwed up in money is because they are looking toward the source and they're thinking, how am I going to get that to me? And you're thinking backwards. You have to learn to get up in the morning and think, what do I have that can bless people? And your whole philosophy changes. I am going to become a company I am going to have a product. Your product might be just what you do on your job, but you are going to create the best product you can create. And as you do this, you're building bridges and building relationships, and you're establishing cables to the sources of money. And here's what happens. Once they're established, the money comes back. I believe that this is what Jesus had in mind when he said, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give unto your bosom. If you're a business person, you give an offering, you don't suddenly see all kinds of people just coming, dumping money in your lap. Here, I know you gave at church last week. Here, I want to give you some money. Very few of us ever have that happen. I think it's about a way of life. You are giving in all that you do. I'm going to give the best I've got. What does this mean? It means I may be underpaid for a while. It may mean that I'm not being rewarded handsomely for everything that I do, but I'm not doing it for that reason. I'm doing it because I believe in what I've got to offer. And ultimately, I know the money will always catch up to what I'm putting out there. It will find its way to me because I believe God. The Bible says Abraham was rich in cattle and silver and gold. And I'm going to shut up after this. What does that mean? Abraham had three channels. Abraham was rich. Think about that for a minute. Abraham didn't live in town. He lived in the boonies. But yet he was rich in cattle and silver and gold. Silver and gold, two of those things are money that flows through some kind of an economy. I don't know if you've seen it or not, but there's not a whole lot of silver and gold, not too many banks out there on the plains. So how in the world does money flow from the boonies into Abraham? You have to read your Bible. And I've always found that if you have a question about something, the answer is always there. It may not be in the most obvious spot, but you keep reading I read that Abraham had a son named Isaac, and when Abraham died, Isaac had to go back and redig the wells that his father had put all over the land. Now, here's what that means. Abraham understood the significance of water. 
And you can see that when God came to visit him in Genesis 18 with two angels, Abraham, the first thing that he offered God was water. Then he offered God food. And he offered God shade and comfort. He did not realize he was dealing with God in the very beginning. He thought it was another traveler. Abraham just happened to live on the busiest caravan route in the world. There would not have been a day that he couldn't look up and see a group of camels moving from the north down toward Egypt and back again. And they were loaded with things to trade and they were loaded with silver and gold. And when they needed water, here he has it. When they needed food, here he had it. He didn't give it away, he sold it. And so Abraham was able to take advantage of the things he was familiar with. And here he is in the middle of nowhere making money because God didn't just bless him because he liked him and all this money starts raining on him, but he had systems that brought the money in. One more thing, and I'm going to shut up. People who have no idea who, how money flows have very little of it. The people that I've met in life who have a lot of money are people who know exactly where their money's coming from. They've got a system that keeps bringing it in. I want to pray for you. I want God to give you wisdom and a system, but let me tell you something. If you're thinking about, well, I need a bigger boat, I need a bigger house, that's part of it. God will bless you with things. But your number one responsibility is to bless the kingdom of God do things like we talked about earlier with the compassion offering. By the way, that's Johnny's bank account number on that check. So if you want to maybe tap in, take a look at that after. But the point I want to make is this. God wants to give you wisdom if you put your purposes to the right place. Father, I pray in Jesus' name for the men who are here under my voice. I pray that they would take to heart the things I've shared and said. Let your ideas flood their hearts and minds. Let them stew on what I've said for the next several days till they come to an actionable step. Then give them another step to take that they may fulfill your purpose in their lives. And Father, if there's anybody here today who does not have a relationship with the real Jesus, help me to find such a person. Heads bowed and eyes closed, you're here and you say, Pastor Willie, I do not have a relationship with the real Jesus. I've heard about Jesus. I've heard my grandma talk about Jesus. I went to church a little bit. But to say that I really, really, really know him, I couldn't admit to that. But I want to. Would you lift up your hand right now? I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to have you stand up. I'm not going to have you come down here. But I do want to pray for you. And you need to acknowledge that. If you're not willing to raise your hand, you're not willing to do anything else Jesus wants you to do. So you're here and you say, Pastor Willie, pray for me. Anybody like that? Anywhere in the room? Anybody at all? may take me a minute to see you now, so be patient with me. Anybody? Got one. Okay. Anybody else? Anybody else? Anybody else? Yes, sir. Thank you. Anyone else? Yes, sir. Right over here. Thank you very much. I want to know. I want a relationship with the real Jesus. All right? Pray with me. And we believe so much. Nope. I can't pray yet. I got two more guys that should have lifted their hands and didn't. Where are you? Where's the other two? God's knocking on the door of your heart right now. Where are you? There's two more. There's one. There's one more. Where's the other one? Another one over here? No, we've got him. 
Who's the other one? Who's the other one? No, see, uh, second one? Okay. All right. Right here. Okay, right in front of us. All right. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me so much. You sent Jesus to die on a cross for my sins so that I could be saved. I thank you for forgiving me now. And I confess Jesus Christ is my Lord. With these words, I believe on him. I surrender my life. I thank you, sir, for saving me. I'm saved. Now I'm going to follow you. I will do what you tell me to do. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Amen.